Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. We are thrilled about His plan, and He has a plan for this service today, and we're going to walk in that plan. If your children haven't been released yet, they can be released now to our children's ministry. And I'm going to interrupt the normal flow of service just because of the way that we have worshiped this morning. And we're going to just enter into what the Lord has for us. We'll honor the Lord in the tithe and offering at the end of the service. But I want to give focus to and make sure that we have... Uh, accuracy where this assignment is concerned today. Today, I want to talk about this sacrifice that Jesus has accomplished for us and the importance of us giving attention to it regularly. And let's go to 1 John chapter 5. And I want to look at 1 John chapter 5 at a verse that we quote often. Verse 4, 1 John 5, 4 says this, Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. This is the victory that overcomes. So through the vehicle or through the instrument or through the weapon of faith, There is victory over whatever difficult situation you could encounter in the world. Whatever is in the world, you can overcome it through faith. But I want to talk about the root system of this faith, and I want to talk about the basis of it, because it goes on to say, who is he that overcomes the world? Well, I want to know the details, because that's who I want to be. I want to be this person. Verse 5 says, who is he that overcomes the world? Who is this person? This is the person that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So my faith is specific in in its focus. The victory that overcomes the root of it, the basis of it, is faith in the work Jesus has accomplished. It's not just generalized faith. Oh, you just got to use faith. No, what do you believe in? Because it's what you believe that affects that situation. If you believe that Jesus hung on the cross to pay for your sin, to completely remove sin away from you, then you won't believe that you you are a victim to sin and that you can't help but sin because your faith in the fact that Jesus removed it from you will provide a victory over that temptation to sin. Hallelujah. If you believe that the stripes that he took on his back 
and not just head knowledge. And this is where we've got to remind ourselves, it's not what I know, but it's what I believe. There is a renewing of the mind, but if I don't have a full measure of faith, and faith only comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God, there has to be an, a deposit of, of the Word to produce a substance of faith in my heart. So even though I've known for 30 years that by his stripes I'm healed doesn't mean I have a full measure of faith for by his stripes I'm healed unless I've been feeding on that and eating it like food to my spirit. I remind you what the Lord told one of our our, uh, generals in the faith. He was standing for healing in his body and he had uh, been uh, going, he had just been quoting those scriptures from memory and saying, Father, I thank you that by your stripes I'm healed. He was just quoting them all from memory. And he said, I knew there wasn't any, any uh, force of faith being released against that sickness that was attacking my body. And so I went to the Lord, and the Lord said, the memory of a potato doesn't provide any nutrition. You got to eat the potato to get any nutrition out of it. And just because you know the word here doesn't mean you're eating it spiritually in your heart. For you to have the, the substance, the, uh, the deposit of faith is, is requiring the word to be planted in the heart. And so Brother Hagen, he was out on the road and he got news from home. This was when Sister Pat Harrison, Sister Pat was still a, a child. And his wife said his, that Sister Pat was sick with a, 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 a something that was going around, a flu or a, a pneumonia or something. And he said... I didn't just jump out, and even though he was preaching in healing meetings, he was preaching twice a day, and he was ministering healing to other people, he said, I didn't just jump up and start quoting scriptures. He said, I spent two days going through the scriptures myself, even above my study time for my sermons, I went through and I fed on the scriptures because I knew I needed to feed my faith to be able to release faith. And after two days of feeding on those scriptures, then he sent that he prayed for his child and released that faith. Hallelujah. So we've got to be skilled in our faith. We've got to be skilled to know it's not just what I know by memory. Because that's not how faith works. Faith is of the heart. And it's not my mind. My mind is included in this operation because I renew my mind. And my mind helps me to uh, be able to uh, agree with the word of God that comes by revelation to my spirit. The renewed mind is necessary because if your mind is carnal, you're going to argue with everything God says to your spirit. (laughs) But the renewing of the mind is not the release of faith. It's a part of our growth and our development as believers. But the release of faith is of the heart. It says, we having the same spirit of faith, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12. We having the same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore, that's why, therefore, we believe. And therefore, we speak. So we have the spirit of faith. So believing isn't the end all of our spirit of faith. We having the spirit of faith, we believe. And because we believe, what do we do? We speak. And so this victory that overcomes the world 
even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God, verse 6, he, he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. They are in unity. Verse 8, and there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. So our basis is on the evidence that is, he, say, he says, bear witness on the earth. That bearing witness on the earth is talking about legal witness. You could pull to the stand the water that you were baptized in, and that water will testify, yes, they have been buried with Christ in baptism. You can pull, it says the Spirit in Hebrews chapter 10, it says the Spirit uh, of Jesus, the Spirit, it says Jesus through the eternal Spirit offered himself up to God. So the Spirit was available with Jesus when he offered himself on the cross. Well, if you believe you were on the cross with Christ, crucified together, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, then the Holy Spirit was there when you were on the cross with Jesus and he can stand on the witness stand of heaven and he can attest to the fact that, yes, you were on the cross with Christ by faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood that washed you, the blood is the blood of the everlasting covenant. That blood that cleansed you, that blood will testify for you. So you've got to believe in the fact that you were crucified with Christ. You've got to believe in the fact that you were buried together with Christ by baptism. You've got to believe that you've been raised up by this blood of the everlasting covenant. So the blood will testify, yes, I was there when Patricia was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Why? Because the blood is the blood that raised Jesus from the dead, the covenant blood, and it raised you from the dead. So do you see my faith isn't just generalized random faith. There has to be, listen, we need the, the, the anchor of these, these faith anchors in these things that some people consider to be doctrine and that's what we don't want. No, no. I need to give my attention regularly to the fact that I'm crucified together with Christ. I need to give my faith attention regularly to the fact that I've been buried with him in baptism. I am a, a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are created new. It's because of what he did that I am who I am. If he had not done what he did, I wouldn't be who I am today. If Jesus had not taken my place, I would not be who I am. I would not be alive unto God. I would not be washed in his blood from all sin. I would not be a righteous woman of God. Why? Because it's what he did that makes me who I am. Tell your neighbor, it's what he did that makes me who I am. It's what he did that makes me who I am. Hallelujah. So you've got to see what he did. That's the, that's the anchor of your faith. That's the victory that overcomes the world. Faith in what he did. Faith in what he did. Glory to God. 
If you just say, listen, there's a lot of people that just believe Jesus was a prophet. They don't believe he was born of a virgin. They don't believe he died an innocent death. They don't believe that he, he was born of God and that his blood was different from every other human beings because he wasn't born out of Adam's lineage. They just got their mind over here on the carnal, uh, what they can see, what they can explain, what they can reason out. And they say, well, Jesus was a good man. We can see that history shows us he was here, but he was just a good man. He was just a prophet, but they don't see him as the spotless son of God. There's a reason we've got to have faith in the virgin birth. Because for me to believe his blood could do something my blood can't do, I have to believe his blood was the blood of God. Hallelujah. I have to believe that he was innocent because for his sacrificial death to be any value for my, for my future, I have to believe that his, his death was... His, ble- his death was the death of an innocent lamb in my place. Come on, our faith has to have that anchor. If we lose that anchor, your faith is not going to bring, it's not going to produce the victory you need it to produce. Why? Because you'll just be trying to believe, believe because of, of what you can see or what you know. I believe because Jesus died on the cross for me and his death had value because he never sinned. His death had value because he was born of God from the beginning. He was born of the blood of God. The DNA in the blood of Jesus is the DNA of God. There was no sin in him. He walked on this earth. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin and when he hung on the cross it was an innocent an innocent godly man who hung on the cross the son of God and he was not only the son of God but God sent him as a lamb behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world if our faith doesn't have that anchor and that edge to it then it's not going to have the greatest effectiveness in your life for victory. Because when you're standing toe-to-toe against the enemy and he's bringing everything he's got against your life, you better stand up with something more than reasoning. You better stand up with something more than just emotion. You've got to stand up with, with you. Let me pull out to you what my Savior has done. Let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the same was in the beginning with God, yet the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and when he came into this planet he came in saying sacrifice and offerings you do not don't please you Lord but a body you have prepared for me I come to do your will oh God I believe that it pleased the Lord to bruise him I believe that it pleased the Lord to bruise him I believe that it pleased the Lord to bruise him because he saw in Jesus and in the bruising and in the the striking upon Jesus, he saw my freedom. He saw my victory. Hallelujah. And that's what we have to see. That has to be our emphasis. So let's go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I believe that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I have faith. My faith, this is the victory that overcomes. This is the victory that overcomes. Victory, what is, who is the one that overcomes? He that believes. 
that Jesus is the Son of God, the Word made flesh. He came, conquered sin in the flesh, delivered us from the power of sin, made us sons and heirs, hallelujah, and has delegated his name to us. Come on, we got a lot of believing, uh, specific things to anchor our faith on, but those anchors are lifelong anchors. Those, those anchors will anchor your whole life, your marriage, your finances. The, the, when, when, when winds start to blow in your children's life, you need an anchor. Hallelujah. Isaiah 53, and let's read verses 9 through 10. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Hallelujah. This word death is a word that is a twofold death in his death's the original language would say, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. How do you do that? You have to believe that he was your offering for sin. You have, to, you have to focus your faith on it. You have to believe it in your heart, and you have to speak it out of your mouth. Jesus is my sacrifice. Jesus is the one who is qualified to be my offering for sin. When, when it, it says, when you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He will see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. In verse 11, we see the word bear. He shall bear their iniquities. In verse 12, we see, and he bear the sin of many. Circle both of those words because they're important to your faith. He bore our sins. To understand the the completeness of your redemption, you have to know that this word means more than just to carry for you. It means to carry or remove to a distance. He didn't just carry it, he took it away. He bore it away. He removed it from your geographical spiritual location. He removed it from your vicinity. He bore it, and when he bore it, he took it out of your region. Hallelujah. And so he gave in the Old Testament a picture. He gave them to practice a picture of the scapegoat. We have that word scapegoat today in our society, and that scapegoat would represent somebody who took the fall or took the blame for another person. If, if there was a business deal that went bad and one person said, okay, I'll take the fines or whatever uh, uh, penalties come from this decision that we made, they became the scapegoat and the other person didn't have to pay anything, didn't have to suffer anything. They took the fall for it. And so the scapegoat was given for the people of God to rehearse. Every year 
they rehearsed the scapegoat. Every year they looked at what that scapegoat had done and they rehearsed as they watched the scapegoat taking their sins away. Let's look at it in Leviticus and verse 16 and 5. Leviticus 16 is talking about the sin offering. In verse 5, it says, And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. I want to just talk about the sin offering and, and the necessary requirement for that sin offering to be removed from the people. Verse 7, it says, He will take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. The word scapegoat in the original language means the goat of separation. The goat of separation. This is where your faith needs to see what Jesus has done and how he has separated you from sin. If a person sees themselves as a sinner saved by grace, they're going to have difficulty walking in the victory that will overcome the world because they see themselves victim to something that Jesus has made them victorious over. For you to walk in the victory, faith is the victory. And faith in what? Faith in the fact that I'm separated from that. Now, we live in the flesh. We have the opportunity at any moment to sin. But I'm not victim to it. Sin can't make me do it. If I'll resist sin, I, I, will, I will overcome it. So I don't, I'm not victim to it. I, it says in Romans chapter 6 that sin no longer has dominion over me. In other words, it can't make me do anything. It can't force me. And see, if people believe that it can, then they'll struggle with it all their lives. But when they believe that Jesus separated them from that, they put their faith not in their willpower, not in their ability to resist it, not in, I can do it, I can know, I, in Christ, <laughs> In Christ, I'm separated from that. And you know what? I put that in my heart and I bring that out of my mouth. I'm separated from that. I'm separated from that sin through Christ. And so I take my place in Christ. I put my faith in him and what he did to separate me. And that gives me the victory. So here it says there were two goats. They, they chose for one goat to be the goat of separation, and the other goat became the sin offering where the blood was shed. Aaron, verse 9, shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. That's what happened with the goat who became the sin offering. Verse 20. And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place with that blood, 
the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat. And he shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear, circle it, completely remove and carry away to a distance all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he will let go the goat in the wilderness. It's a picture. It's an image. It was just a rehearsal for what we have in reality. In Christ, when he, when he received the sin of the world, when the sins were placed upon him, it wasn't a picture. It wasn't a rehearsal. It was the real deal. It was the actual moment when all of those years before, when they had watched the scapegoat carry away their sins, and they were like, bye-bye, sin. You're, you're not all those sins I just committed there are gone. See ya. I, I won't see you. Wait a minute. You're going somewhere that can never come back to me. You can't torment me anymore. You can't haunt me anymore. You've been completely removed from my life. Hallelujah. What Jesus did wasn't the rehearsal. Jesus came and when it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, he became sin who knew no sin. He never sinned. He never did any action, anything, any activity in his life that was sin, but he became sin. And listen, you and I, we've never done any action that could make us righteous. There's no activity that can make us righteous, but because he became sin, you've been made righteous because you have faith in the fact that he became sin for me. So my righteousness is rooted in the work that he accomplished. Hallelujah. When we go back to Isaiah chapter 53, we see that this is what he was referring to when he says, that he, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he'll see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By The righteous servant will justify many for he will bear their iniquities. He bore the sin of many. Now, I want to look again at verse 12. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Because in our society, our church world, you could say, we've taken that word intercessor and only limit it to prayer. Most people think right there was a prayer, that he made intercession for us, meaning he prayed for us. But the word intercession is not a prayer. We have the prayer of intercession only because Jesus completed the work of intercession. Any prayer of intercession is only valid because it is an application of the work of intercession Jesus has accomplished in redemption. So intercession is not a prayer at its origin. Intercession is a work at its origin. The prayer of intercession applies the work that he completed. Can I say it any other? Should I say it again? 
Intercession is not a prayer in its origin. The prayer of intercession is only valid because of the work of intercession Jesus has completed. Intercession was a work of redemption. It was a a fulfillment of redemption. The word intercession here means to strike. To strike or to lay upon. That's valid because we've got to see when Jesus took our sins, they were laid upon him. He became sin. He took our punishment. Let's go back to Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne, there's the word again, to completely carry away. If you've circled all three of those in your your text there, verse 4, verse 11, and verse 12, you'll see that what this is this text is emphasizing is a complete removal. Surely he has completely removed and carried to a distance our sicknesses and carried, again, the same word, to completely remove and carry to a distance our diseases. The original language, I think Young's Living also uses it, is he has borne our diseases. Yet we did smitten of God and afflicted. He was. He was stricken. He was smitten of God. He was afflicted, but not because he deserved it. Not because it was the wages of his sin. It was the wages of my sin that he died to pay. It was the wages of your sin that he died to pay. It was our condition that he was effecting change in. So surely he has completely removed and carried away our sicknesses, our griefs, and and completely removed and carried to a distance our diseases, our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace. One translation says the punishment necessary to obtain our peace was laid on him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Do you see the emphasis is ours, our, our, my, my, your, we've got to take this personal. He was wounded for my, that's how we connect our faith to it. He was wounded. He was, he has borne my sicknesses, my griefs. He's completely removed my diseases, my sorrows. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. That when I make it personal and I believe he did it for me, then I am able to receive all of the benefit of what he did in each of those actions to provide for me. Hallelujah. And how does faith come? Feeding on the word. You could say by hearing or feeding on the word. You've got to hear it. You've got to, he said, incline your, your ear to hear. Do not let it from, depart from in front of your eyes. Get it in the middle of your heart so it'll be life to you. So the life of the redemption comes as I look at the scriptures and, hear, and speak them out and make them personal to me and say, Jesus, you completely removed my sicknesses, my griefs. You carried away my diseases. You're, you're believing it in your heart and you're confessing it with your mouth. Just because you know it doesn't mean it's active in your life. 
Just because you know it belongs to you doesn't mean you've activated it. Doesn't mean you have put it into play. Doesn't mean you have have any motion of that force of faith. To release the force of faith, there has to be the believing in the heart and the confessing of the mouth. So our, 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 our body needs to hear that we believe by his stripes we are healed. Our body needs to hear that we believe that he has borne our sicknesses and completely removed our diseases. Get it in a couple of different verses. Bring it into your heart and then bring it out of your mouth to bring it into activation in your life because this is the victory that overcomes cancer. This is the victory that overcomes diabetes. This is the victory that overcomes uh, financial lack. This is the victory. Whatever you can put put the difficulty that you may be facing, this is the victory that overcomes it, believing that Jesus already dealt with that. Believing that Jesus already provided for that area. And again, it's not just a nominal, generalized believing. Oh, I believe that. Yeah, meaning, I agree with that. I'm not talking about what? I'm not talking about do you agree with that or not. No, no, no. Oh, when it's, uh, that's where some, I just heard that in my spirit. I believe that. And what that person is saying, I agree with that. We're not talking about, yes, you need to be in agreement, but believing is a force of faith that comes out of your heart through your mouth and deals with that situation and moves that mountain of sickness or lack out of the way. Believing is, is, is a, a, a spiritual flow. Not a mental flow of whether I agree with it or not. There are a lot of people who agree with it but don't have it working. Not you, them other people. Hallelujah. So we've got to give our attention to it if we're going to be believing it. Just because I know it doesn't mean I've got a full measure of faith where that thing is concerned. Brother Hagen, who had been preaching and administering healing in a three-week conference before he released his faith for his own child, took the time to go through the scriptures for two days and feed on those scriptures for himself. I think we could all learn a lesson from that. Amen? Hallelujah. Jesus completely removed and carried away Sickness, sin, the dominion of sin. He was wounded for our transgressions. Hallelujah. In this word intercession that we see from Isaiah 53, 12, he made intercession for the transgressors. Again, the word means to strike upon, to lay upon. That work of intercession, the word in the original root, intercede, means to go between. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought into the lives of every human being the entrance of spiritual death brought brought. Sin and sickness and the curse. Before the fall, none of those things had dominion over Adam. But because of the fall, spiritual death now 
resided in him, which means a separation from God. It's, it's not a cessation of life. It doesn't mean his life ceased. It means the life of God was no longer operative in him. He was separated from God, and that spiritual death brought that entrance of sin and sickness and the curse into his life. So Jesus needed to do more than just forgive us. If he had just forgiven us and left us in the condition we were in, we would just continually need forgiveness. And a lot of people think that's all they have in salvation is forgiveness of sin. And they just come back and keep getting forgiveness instead of victory. Praise God for the forgiveness of sin. In no way, shape, or form am I making light of the forgiveness, but that's not all Jesus did when he became sin for us. He didn't become sin for us to leave us victims to sin. He became sin for us to make us sons of God, to make us heirs and righteous and, and holy in the sight of God. Hallelujah. So when we look at this word intercession, we've got to understand the brevity of what it stands for. It means he went between us and God, but it's a twofold intercession because he went between us and God to connect us to God. We had no, no, uh, privilege to enter into the presence of God because of the fall. We had no access to the presence of God because of the fall. But through the, the blood, God had made a temporary fix. But Jesus made a permanent solution when he shed his blood. So he went between us and God. And the Bible says that through him we have a new and a living way. He made a new and a living way by his body. When he went between us and God, he gave us the ability to connect with God as our father. But that wasn't the fullness. He also had to break the power of the enemy off of our lives. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Colossians 1. Verse 13, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. This word delivered means to draw to oneself or rescue. He has rescued us from the power, the authority of darkness. This word power is the word exousia, which means authority. It is not the dunamis word that can also be used in the New Testament to describe power. This one specifically refers to authority. He has rescued us from the authority of darkness. So darkness has no dominion or authority in your life. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 to his disciples, he said, I give you power to over all the power of the enemy. And it was the word he said in the original, I give you authority over all of the, the explosive working power that the enemy might have, the dunamis that the enemy could operate. So that means no matter what kind of power the devil has, you have authority to say, not in my house, not, not in my life, not in my marriage, 
No matter what he can do, he can't do it if you say he can't do it in your house where you have dominion, in your life where you have dominion. You have authority over all of the, uh, of the ability of the enemy. He, he may be able to do something somewhere else, but if you say he can't do it in your house, he can't do it in your house. If you say he can't do it in your church, he can't do it in your church. If you say he can't do it in your family, he can't do it. Why, you have authority over all the ability of the enemy. Why, you've been delivered, rescued from the authority of darkness. Do you believe it? Then you got to say it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, I'm redeemed. Let those who have authority in Jesus' name say, I'm authorized in Jesus' name to drive this thing out of my life. I'm authorized to drive that, that, that out of my family. Hallelujah. Faith is the victory that overcomes. Faith in what? Faith. In the fact that he has delivered us from the authority of darkness and has translated. New King James says conveyed. He's conveyed us. It is a word used to describe what happened when, when conquering kings took over a new nation. They would come into the nation and they would take them all back to their place. Just like when, in, when Jerusalem was overthrown, the King Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and the four Hebrew boys back and he was ruling over them. But he took them back to where he was, he was dominant. Why? Because you're going to learn how to, to work things here. Well, Jesus came and conquered and took us all back to daddy's house took us all back to the kingdom where the son of God's love, it says he has conveyed us into the dominion, the kingdom of the son of God's love, his dear son. So we're in a place that love is governing us. We're in a place where God and his kingdom, his kingdom plans and his kingdom forces are in, in, in governing power. Hallelujah. We're not governed by depression. We're not, we're not moved by economics ups and downs. We're not moved by the situations that other people might be moved by. We have mercy on them, but we're not moved by those things. Why? We are governed by God and his system, his ways, his forces. Hallelujah. Do we believe that? So Jesus had to come in between the control that Satan had over us and he had to be the go-between to remove that control Satan had over us and connect us to God. And in doing so, he gave us authority over the enemy. Hallelujah. He, he broke his headship he broke his authority and gave us authority. Let's look at Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2 verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So you've got to believe Jesus wasn't pretending to be in a body. Jesus legally came as a man. He, he didn't do it in a way that, that disgusted him or that he thought himself above. It says it's the children 
are partakers, he likewise took part of the same. Hallelujah. So that through death, he might destroy. The word destroy means to render inoperative. Through death, he rendered inoperative the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. Do you believe that? So that means in your life, the devil has no ability to operate against you. Come on, we've got to take it and run with that. We've got to take it and enforce that. In my life, the devil has no ability to operate. He's been rendered inoperative. He can't make me fear. I don't even have to fear death. I have been delivered through the fear, from the fear of death that once held me in bondage. If you don't fear death, because you know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, if you know that eternal life already dwells in you, if you've got faith in the fact that you're alive unto God right now and you will never die, hallelujah, to be absent from the body doesn't, doesn't make you afraid. To be absent from the body isn't anything to fear. I'm not going before my time. I'm going to do everything I'm supposed to do. I'm going to accomplish the will of God because he's given me authority on this earth and I am about my father's business. But when it is time for me to go by way of the grave, if the Lord tarries, I won't fear. Why? Because for me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Hallelujah. We've got to have that victory because uh, when people submit to the fear and, and submit to the fear that it, it might not even, the fear of spiders is the fear of being bitten by a spider and dying. It's not really the spider. It's what you think the spider could do to you, Kim. Uh, it's not the fear of the snake. It's the fear of dying by the snake bite. It's not the fear of heights. It's fear of falling from that height and dying. It's not the fear of flying. It's fear of crashing. So see, the fear of death, if I take the fear of death out, if I deal with that and by, by building my strength in the fact that I have eternal life now, I am alive unto God. And if I do go by way of the grave, if I leave this body before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and I get my glorified body, I won't fear it. Why? Because I'll just be present with the Lord. If, he ta- if, I can, if the enemy doesn't have any fear in my life, he doesn't have any bondage over me. It says fear held them in bondage. But perfected love drives fear out the door. And what is the, the greatest expression of the love of God? Jesus died for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should call upon his name shall have everlasting life. That's the love of God in action to see the Jesus being our go-between, being the one who connected us to the life of God and broke the power of the enemy in our life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are free. I'm going to finish here in Ephesians chapter 2. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. I'm going to finish right here, and I'm going to have you bow your heads right now for just a moment, if you would, please. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what he did on the cross, he did for you. He did because God so loves you. God loves you with a tremendous, tremendous, a tremendous love that compelled him to provide every aspect of your freedom and every aspect of your salvation. And if you're here today and you would say, Michelle, I've never known Jesus. I've never accepted him. Or maybe you would say, I once accepted Jesus, but I've walked away and I've been living my life for myself. And today I want to ask Jesus to forgive me and to wash me clean. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you because the most important decision that you can make is to make yourself right with God through accepting Jesus as Lord. I see that hand. I want to give an opportunity if you're here today and you have been walking after the flesh, living life to yourself. You've not been committed to God. You've not been dedicated to going after God. You've not yielded yourself to the things that God has spoken to you in the past, but you've gotten hard-hearted. You've gotten cold in your walk with him, and you're here today, and you know the presence of the Lord is drawing you. The presence of the Lord is, is speaking to you and ministering to you. This is an opportunity because that coldness of heart will lead you to a place that will be difficult and open the door to destruction in your life. And this is a rescue for you today. If that's you and you would say, Michelle, I need to make myself right with God by accepting that forgiveness. Lift your hand right where you are. I want to ask Jesus to forgive me for the way I've been living, for the choices I've been making, for the direction I've been going. Hallelujah. This is our liberty when we accept Jesus and what he's done for us. I want to ask those of you who've lifted your hands to stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Come here and let me lay my hands upon you and agree with you in prayer. Hallelujah. Because the the rescue that you need in your life is found in the presence of God. Hallelujah.